to Spread the Floor, the world's first and only NBA podcast, probably. I'm your host, Brian Gill, joined as always by the Alonzo Morning to my Tim Hardaway. It's my co-host, Tobin Hodges. Tobin, how's it going, buddy? It's going pretty good. 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 We did not get to record last week because you were at camp. We will not be recording next week because you're at another camp. Um, you're just way too dedicated to improving the lives of youths, uh, and I, I wish you would be more dedicated to this podcast instead. But I mean, you know, to be fair, it's going to be like a high of 80 all next week. Where I'm going and in Texas, we're going to hit triple digits. So I'm really glad I'm not going to be here. I just so. booked a vacation to Colorado this summer and I cannot freaking wait to be. It's, it's not even hot yet, really. And I it's really not, cannot yeah. wait to be out of the heat. Um, Tobin, today we're going to talk about, uh, we're going to do a coaching time, talk about all the moves that have been made in the world of coaching. We're going to do a sad Mavs time because we live in the bad place and we want to share our pain with you. And we're going to stop down and, and talk a little bit of soccer with our buddy Dennis as there's a lot going on in the the world of international football. But before that, let's talk the finals. Two games in. Um, I don't know, honestly, if, if there will be another game that we will be able to dissect. I imagine by the next time we record, it'll be just reacting to whoever wins the finals. Um, Tobin, I had Nuggets in five coming in. Where were you at? I think I said the same game? five, okay. and I... I don't, I'm not ready to move off that prediction yet, even though tonight will be the reason. We'll, yeah. be, we'll, we'll tell yeah. us more probably. But I think I would move into Nuggets in six. Um, but very quickly, game one, it was pretty clear the Heat were tired. Nuggets ended up winning 104-93. It was not that close for long stretches of the game. But then in the fourth, Miami kind of found something um, and had some stuff going on. Down the stretch of the fourth, I, I think that, what they found, quote unquote, was being <laughs> highly overrated because the Nuggets clearly were like, "All right, this is over, right? Can we just can we stop now?" Um, Jokic didn't shoot at all early, but ended up with a triple double on twelve shots. Murray Cook, Aaron Gordon was a difference maker early on, like really aggressively going at uh, Caleb Martin and uh, really whoever else they put on him. And again, Miami looked tired. Butler was Butler reverted back to Jimmy Butler instead of mm-hmm. Jimmy Butler. I liked Bam's aggressiveness. I think that that's going to be that's important through the course of this series as he has to really make Jokic work and go at it a little bit. But really, it comes down to Caleb Martin, Max Strus, and Duncan Robinson. Oh my two gosh. for twenty three, and how much two did for that, sixteen from three? How much did that just pain all the Boston fans that they just totally crapped the bed in the game Poor. one? Poor Brad was was like he he called he he was right he called he was like they're gonna revert in the finals and it's gonna be exhausting and he was texting me he was just like this is this is hell like watching <laughs> <laughs> watching them just miss open shot or relatively open shot after relatively open shot was, I mean I think hilarious. and I think Strews was the most jarringly awful oh one gosh, like yeah. gosh like Martin I get you know he was kind of getting you know and Robinson's not been good all year so that's not really a surprise but Strews was just rough that game it was rough when he's not hitting shots I am like why is he in the game like it's it is awful to watch him because he just I don't know I mean he's a he's bigger than he looks in some ways and he I mean he works hard on defense it's not like he's a complete sieve or something but for whatever reason his Bad games look way worse than most other people's bad games. Yeah, I feel like so. I don't know, but uh, well, because it's yeah. it just I think it compounds the fact that they really don't have a guard past Lowry right now, mm-hmm. you know. And then Heroes being out, and then Hikot possibly coming back game three, 
and that just it just it just magnifies that because if if hero is in the game and and healthy, then you just pull Struce and you say, okay, get off, you're you're done for the day. Sure. And so sure. And it, but I just don't think they have the, that ability right now, which is just a, you know that's that's yeah. the biggest problem with it. Yeah. Yeah, game one to me just felt like Denver being Denver and doing Denver yeah. things, and and Miami just wasn't making shots. I mean, that's the that's been their whole thing this entire playoff run is they are making shots at a rate that they were not making shots in the in the regular season, and uh, in the games where they don't, there there's no they they can almost not win. I mean, there's almost mm-hmm. no way for them to win because they don't get to the free throw much. line. They don't they don't drive the bucket. Yeah. They they really have to hit the shots that they're shooting, yep. or else they're they're yep. they're toast. Last note game one, you you brought it up. It was twenty to two free throws. Two is the low number. <laughs> like I did not feel like they were not getting calls. I felt like they yeah. were aggressively just shooting from the outside. They and weren't not really driving. doing anything. Yeah, they weren't driving. And um, so like it, I'm not going to defend twenty to two free throws uh, for the Nuggets, but it felt like twenty to six. Maybe. I mean, it was not. There wasn't a lot of calls missed. I didn't feel like um, in in the paint for the Heat. So yeah, I mean it's it's easy to look at that number and be like, oh, the refs screwed yeah. them. But they, it's just if you're watching the game, like the, there is yeah. some truth that they miss the calls. They miss calls all the time. But like right, right. But in this case, it just it straight up was just not being aggressive enough. Yeah, agree. And that came full circle, I think, in game two because uh, which ended up being a Heat win, one eleven to one hundred eight. Um. It felt like every single questionable call. Like if you look again, the free, I think the Nuggets ended up winning the free throw battle in Game Two. Watching the game, it felt like every every close call, questionable call, borderline fifty fifty call went the Heat's way. Like they were mm-hmm. getting, they got. It felt like they were getting a little bit of help. Um, I'm not even saying like it was like it wasn't like watching a Lakers game, uh, like, <laughs> but. But it was, it, it was, it was like, it felt like, it felt like when you and I are refing an upward game and one team's losing 20 to two and you're just like, all right, every call is going their way just so we can kind of make this look a little better. Yeah. And then it ended up coming all the way, all the way back on that. Heat were up 11 early. Nuggets came back to, to get within three, I think, to close the first quarter. Dominated the second quarter. They're up 15 in the third quarter. And then Miami goes nine for 10 on their first 10 shots in the fourth. And... Puts the Nuggets back on their heels, and and uh, I think it got within one at one point, maybe two, and then the you had a terrible non goaltending call um, on Jamal Murray. I have no idea how that wasn't called goaltending. It was like a very yeah. obvious goaltend, uh, you know. But it didn't. Okay, whatever. And ends up being Murray takes a step back three, um, basically at the buzzer. Got a good look and missed it. Uh, heat tied up one one, and we're we're moving back to Miami. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what did you make of Love moving into the starting lineup, and uh, how much that impacted the game, if at all? For I you? I don't know why it did, but it did. <laughs> like yeah. like I I really thought Gordon was going to own him, and it just didn't seem to happen. Um, I mean, maybe it's because of like I I don't know. Maybe it was just a different look that, that he wasn't prepared for, but. Um, it seemed like that changed their aggressiveness a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bam was a little bit different, but it was still good. It was more efficient, I think. 
I, I don't know, man. Like that was weird. They just, but again, they also just shot better that game too. And yeah. they, they weren't exactly killing it in the first part of the game. Like, I mean, there was already talks of like, you know, I mean, you even made the comment of, you know, two game sweep because they were just getting blasted in the first half. And mm-hmm. then, and then that's why I wouldn't feel great about this. If I was the heat is that they, right. that game was not right. pretty. He played better and it still took Denver kind of fumbling to, yeah. For, for y'all yeah. to win by three, you know? And so, right. Um, but I also wouldn't be feel great if I'm Denver because like you had them, you had your foot on their throat and you didn't mm-hmm. finish the job. Like, so it's just, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. I, I think part of this, I mean, 17 for 35 from three for the heat. And I think the nuggets were like eight for 27 or something like that. I mean, it wasn't, it was again the huge shooting advantage when the shots go in. It was Struess early and Robinson late, and you know that that's that's kind of tough to beat. But yeah, I all the starters except for Jokic were trash for the, for the Nuggets. Like Murray hit some shots down the stretch to like make it close, but he he played a bad game, and that's I get frustrated with Murray because it, it's not front runner. It's just it's just inconsistency, I think. And when there when was a he's point, not yeah. sorry, I'm interrupting. No, but there was no. a point in the second quarter when he was going on a like he was Jokic was out and he was going on a burner like he does. Mm-hmm. And my whole Twitter timeline is like best playoff duo ever. Is it this? Are they? Right. You know right. where do they rank in best playoff duos? I was like, guys, it's two games. Like, and yeah, he had yeah. a great series last series, and like he's done a great job. He's done what he needed to do, but. He also does this where he goes on a burner and then just total tanks the rest of the game. And I just don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was really frustrating. And I think I take it out on him and it's not fair to him either. So, well, I, (laughs) he kind of brings it on himself a little bit because he, he's such a brash, arrogant guy when he's cooking. And so when he's not, you kind of, it's easy. He gets off his vibe pretty easily. It's weird. Um, like he doesn't stop shooting, which he shouldn't. But he, you can just tell when he's not feeling it. When he's not, when he's not hitting shots. When he's not, he stops talking. He he looks a little bit timid with the ball, and definitely on on uh, on defense. It's just, it's a, he's a strange player, man. I, I, to have the level of confidence that he has when he's cooking, which is way more often than not at this point, but then to just be, have these stretches where you're like, are you, are you good, dude? Like, are you okay? It, it, it's a, and the, and the heat are kind of, I think the heat are exactly the type of team that can knock him off his vibe a little bit. Cause they just have so many guys who mm-hmm. don't care and are not intimidated by you whatsoever. And, are happy to get in your face and, and cause problems for you and stuff. And so that is something that I think is something to look for, you know, in the, the remainder of the series. But then again, at the end, he hits three shots down the stretch and had a great look to tie the game. And he ended up being all right. Porter was terrible. Just well, terrible. Well, I can't, God, I can't stand watching that guy play ball. I would love this Nuggets team wholeheartedly if it wasn't for having to watch Porter. But I do think there's got to be a point where Malone just says, okay, man, cool. We tried. It's not working. We're going with, we're going with Bruce Brown. I think that's coming because a lot of like, not just media members, but like, like analysts and Mm -hmm. game people are saying like, this is, this is what's going to hurt them if, if they keep doing this. And Bruce Brown has been great. And so, 
Right. I I don't know, man. He's he's such a frustrating player because he shows flashes where you're just like, man, like there there it is. But like he's even worse than Murray in my opinion. Like we're not. That's not. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah. That's yeah, not 100%. a. That's not a. You know, smart opinion necessarily because everybody he just feels that way. Yeah, but he he's so inconsistent. But also he only has one mode, and it's Michael Porter Jr. shoots ball. That's it. That's all he can do. And so when it's not happening, he doesn't contribute. And he, look, he's a pretty decent rebounder, but he's not. He doesn't, he doesn't use, it's, it's inconsistent. It doesn't go to it enough. He doesn't go crash the glass mm-hmm. like you should at his size and leaping ability and whatnot. It's very frustrating. Gordon was terrible. I like Aaron Gordon a lot. Kevin Love should not throw you off your game that much, dude. Like, gotta be, he was so aggressive in game one. And then in game two, it was like, well, what do I do? I can't, I can't post him up very easily. Well, then move him out and, and take him off the dribble. He's as slow as I am. Like, figure something out, dude. It was, he was awful. KCP was terrible. Another guy that I really like. I mean, it was, it was brutal. And then yet still at the end of the day, the heat basically shot 50% from three. And to me, this whole thing comes down to open to, again, this is a three point game. KCP fouled a three point shooter twice mm-hmm. at the end of a shot clock. I think they hit five of those six free throws and Christian Brown, who was really good in this game. Uh, Spo attacked him in the fourth quarter to start the fourth and that resulted in a wide-open Duncan Robinson three that he cashed and a wide-open layup for Robinson two. Mm-hmm. So that's 10 points in a three-point game of just, like, stupid mistakes that I think is pretty easy. to. When you go into the film on, on the next day, it's pretty easy to be like, hey, guys, uh, like I saw JJ uh, on his pod talking about the way that the Heat were running that uh, the little pin down for Robinson it just has to be an automatic switch. Like, we know we are switching on this no matter what, and they didn't communicate that well, and it ends up in five points. Add again, those KCP fouls are just stupid. Um, that's, a complete, that's a completely different game. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you know, you don't apologize for winning ever, and this is how the Heat have to win games. It's just kind of, we make our threes, we slop it up, we're going to play really aggressive, we're incredibly well-coached. The zone helped. I thought that the impact of the zone was a little bit overrated this time around. I think I felt like it just came down to the Nuggets missed shots mm-hmm. and on that end. And so you add that to here's four possessions that really win the game for Miami. And I we're going to see how game three goes. Maybe they carry, some of this stuff carries over. I feel like it's more likely that Denver kind of reasserts themselves as who they are and I mean, there's a couple of variables going Miami's way of it being in Miami and Mm -hmm. theoretically, I don't know if it's been released yet this morning, but Tyler hero is heroes out for game three. Okay. He he is back for four. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, listen, if you're Miami, I I feel like this is one of those things where you need to go in there and use the home court to your advantage. Because if you Mm -hmm. do and you pull off a win tonight and then you bring hero back game four at home, I mean, this series is completely different. And so it's, and, you, and then you have the advantage. So this right. is, obviously it's a big game. That's stupid. It's a, it's a big game. It's a finals game. It's a pivotal game. But like Miami has got to take advantage of, if you're going to shoot 50% from the field and be at home and, uh, and, and have this team on the ropes, like you need to beat them by more than three, like, mm-hmm. and it needs yeah. to, it needs to not be ugly. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely got to a place down the stretch at a point where I was like, if they don't win this game, they're going to get swept. Because you have, like, being up the way they were and frustrating them with the zone the way they were and the bad game that, that the rest of the starters were playing for the Nuggets, like, if they win this game, you are smoked. Like, you are in big, big, mm-hmm. big trouble. Um, and to their credit, they did it. They got it done and and were able to, to finish it. Um, I just didn't... F- I. I don't know that there's three more games like it in yeah. this run for them. And that's, that's the, that's the difference, you know, for, for this team. Yeah, so, for sure. We'll see. All right. Um, like I said, we're, pro- we're not gonna be able to record next week. So we will, uh, we'll probably be talking about the end of the finals when we get back to it. But Tobin, before we move into, to, uh, coaching time and, uh, and math time, let's stop and let's, let's talk about other things besides basketball. Yes, we like other things than basketball, and we know other things than basketball. This is the time that we talk about them because they're not basketball. All right. Yes, we do like other things than basketball, and to celebrate that today, we are going to bring a friend of the show and a friend in real life, kind of, like a (laughs) mentee turned friend, because he's an adult now, which means we're getting older, Brian. Am I? Am Mm -hmm. I an adult? Yeah, technically I mean, speaking. Yeah. by age, maybe not by responsibilities, mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah. Um, you can be drafted into World War III. So. Gosh, yeah, dang there you it. Go. <laughs> but this is the voice of Dennis Gartman from the Dennis and Friends spot pod. And today we're going to talk about what we like to call football now because we watch Ted Lasso. Um, <laughs> but it's American soccer is what we're talking about today, but not actually American soccer. Oh, a little bit of American soccer today. So Dennis... We're bringing you on because it is that time of the year where the leagues are wrapping up. The Champions League is about to wrap up. And we've had, between us, the three of us, we've had a lot of exciting and stressful times. <laughs> more for more for Brian than us. But Dennis oh. and I are fans of the Liverpool. Um, and then Brian has decided to choose Everton for a long time ago. And he's paying, paying dividends mm-hmm. now. So, Terrible choice. Um, <laughs> So, Dennis, I want to start, before we get to our teams, I want to start with the Champions League final that is coming up. What are you thinking? What, do you, like, what are your overall thoughts? Who do you want to win? Uh, what's, what's the best-case scenario and worst-case scenario for you? I think there's almost no scenario that Inter Milan wins the game, like, at all, because City is playing probably their best football ever, like their performance in the second leg against Real Madrid in the semifinal was one of the more like dominant performances I've ever seen in my life. So I am totally expecting like a three, four, nothing win um, for, for Pep and, and Holland and the boys. The one path I do see uh, Milan winning it is if their defense is just totally sound. And it kind of is, they have a, a pretty solid uh, back line. Um, with with three really good center backs, a really great goalkeeper in Onana, and then two wing backs that have been really good this season. So if they can create an opportunity off the counter attack, then that's probably their only way. However, City's defense, since they changed formation to like this three two five essentially, has made them unstoppable, and they're hard to get by because they have humongous like guys in the back three with Akanji and, and Diaz and, and Ake and. and uh, Rodri and Stones, that whole crew. So it's just going to be hard for them to crack that code. 
Um, obviously, I want Milan to win because I'm very anti-City um, out of my uh, team association allegiance. And, uh, you know, I just don't like City and, you know, all the money that they spend and where that money's coming from and all that. But really, I mean, there's no way they don't win in my eyes. There's, a, there's like a 2% chance I think Milan wins. Well, and they're going for the quad at this point. And or so- the treble, treble. The treble. Oh, the treble. There we go. They lost. They lost the. They lost the. They lost the. They lost oh, I the, forgot. The uh, to relegated Southampton, which is hilarious. Yeah, yeah. The easiest game they've had. I mean, <laughs> thing, yeah. I didn't watch it, yeah. and I don't remember. But did they actually play their players, or was it, you know, they, like the third team playing Southampton? <laughs> well, no, it's like well, they have two teams, right? So like, I think Grealish played. I'm pretty sure Julian Alvarez played. I'm pretty sure Mares played. So like, it, it's not like they ever throw out a team of bums anymore. But it was kind of funny considering Southampton had gone through like three managers this year, and I think it was when they had the crazy one there that they were able to pull that off. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, just I've I've come to realize in my short EPL fandom that the Man City team is a lot like the current Spurs teams were like not current but like my feeling about Spurs now because like I used to hate the Spurs but I mm-hmm. you know now I super respect the do I, I really respect what they're doing um you know minus the fact that they're kind of like the Yankees and, and the fact that they just go get whoever they want and you know <laughs> yeah. financial fair play is yeah. not really a thing apparently so <laughs> yeah it's like for me they're they're the Warriors the Durant Warriors yeah there you go because it's like now it's easy for me to say that because my my club sucks, and so we're not a threat. Just like the Mavs were not a threat to the Warriors during all of that run. So for me, I can just sit back and be like, "This is incredible soccer. It's beautiful." Holland is in just an insane Thanos like beast of a man, and all the things that they do, it's kind of hard not to like Pep. And so I just get to sit back and be like, "Man, I'm enjoying the soccer here because it has." No effect on on my own club whatsoever. Whereas you guys, this season not so much, but generally over this run, you guys have been legitimate competitors to City, and so it's a bigger deal, I think, for y'all yeah. to have to sit back and watch them just destroy and be like, "This sucks." For me, it's like, man, this is this is awesome. Like the most fun Everton game I think I had all season was losing to City three zero because it's like, man, this is beautiful soccer. So it doesn't matter. I know we're going to lose coming into the game, so it doesn't matter. You know, it's it's fun yeah. to watch. I'm fully rooting for them to win at this point because I think it would be cool to see them win the trophy. I also think that this yeah. is kind of like there's a lot of this talk in college, fo- college bas- you know, football, basketball, is that, you know, we never want the conference to win because it's like, no, like I want my conference, you know, <laughs> but I think in this yeah. case, I actually do think it's important that an sure. EPL team wins over – um, a Serie A team. Is that who they are? Sure. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, they're Italian league. I That's will right. say the one other thing I'll add is that if Milan somehow wins this thing, it's just going to be hilarious to see uh, Lukaku like lift the trophy, <laughs> considering he's it's on not loan. hilarious for Brian. Though. It's not hilarious. Well, I'm not even saying from like an Everton perspective, more like a Chelsea perspective, because Chelsea yeah. was a dumpster fire this year, and they right. loaned him back to Milan. And if he ends up winning a Champions League after getting loaned back, I, I just think it'd be you know. Yeah. That'd Super funny. And then he can come home. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I miss him so yeah. badly. I know he'd be terrible now. But I don't care. I miss him. <laughs> he'd be better than Calvert Lewin, I think. Oh my God. So would so would you. <laughs> Anybody. <sighs> okay. Speaking of Everton, Brian, why don't you walk us through the last couple of weeks of being an Everton fan? Because I'm not gonna lie, I was legitimately nervous for your mental health. <laughs> 
<laughs> at least your sports, yeah, man. at least your sports mental health, whenever these weeks were going on. So why don't you walk us through these last couple of weeks and kind of explain for maybe these people who don't have, have a clue what we're talking <laughs> about. I got to tell you guys, I was so, I mean, I still am ticked that the Mavs were such a dumpster fire down the stretch this season. I, this last month, I've been kind of glad that they weren't in the playoffs because just like everything is so stressful right now. Just work-wise, life-wise, and then my stupid soccer club is, like, flirting with disaster at all moments. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if my heart could have taken a Mavs playoff run in the midst of this. So thank you, Mark Cuban, for not competing for a playoffs series. That was actually helpful for me. Yeah, the deal, like, I've been an Everton fan for about a decade. I I was very meticulous in my, my choosing of Everton, and I regret it. Greatly, um, I should have just jumped on the cool bandwagon with Pool or City or even United or something like that. Um, the deal with this is like if you don't if you don't follow European soccer at all, you even if especially with Ted Lasso and stuff, you've probably heard the terms relegation and promotion. the The bottom three teams in in the EPL get get sent down to the Championship, which is the second level basically of of uh, English football, and then the top three teams from the championship come up to uh, to the EPL, which is so cool. That system is so cool. It's fun to watch. It's it's you get like engaged in games like Luton Town playing uh, last weekend and just like kind of rooting for them to come up. It's really cool until your team is part of it, and then it's the most stressful thing you can imagine because it's like it's not just and this is the thing that I think like if you're a basketball fan, a football fan, a baseball fan, or whatever, I don't think you quite get like this is not we had a bad season the Mavs had a bad season so you know please um, make fun of us all you want because you know we, we deserve it it's not just you had a bad season it's we had a bad season and as a result um, fans are not going to be able to watch the games as easily anymore uh, you're going to lose a lot of your best players which makes it even harder than to regain relegation the, you know the next year or the year after or whatever the club is going to lose hundreds of millions of dollars, which, you know, in some ways you say that doesn't really matter, doesn't impact me, but it does because it makes it harder again to, to regain um, promotion when it's all said and done. And you just like miss on the conversation, like part of the fun of EPL over the last five years, especially uh, Tobin is that you've gotten into this. Mm -hmm. Our friends have gotten into this. Dennis has been into it for, for a long time, but to be able to have these conversations on Saturday and Sunday, um, in which I'm usually the butt of the joke because my club sucks so bad, um, to lose that and be like, well, I'm not even in this. I mean, it would really, it's a brutal thing. So yeah, the, I, I was at a place with Everton that it felt inevitable that they were going to get relegated. And then they sort of rallied down the stretch of the last couple of matches, like literally scored a goal in the, I'm the, like the literal last second of the game against, uh, Wolves to get a point. And then, uh, yeah, the final game on, on Sunday last week was just, I mean, I, I don't think anybody in my house was enjoying being, well, so it was, it was, it was pretty. And and to that same thing, like this is not the same as like the Mavs not making the playoffs. Like this is like a thing where, you know, in Everton's case, especially there was a sell pending on it, which is very needed Yes, because the sell needs to, your ownership needs to change. Um, Mm -hmm. If you go down, there is no guarantee you're going to go up again ever you know right. and 100%, you yeah. lose a lot yeah. i mean like if you did watch ted lasso you realize you lose a lot of money 
um, because the owners aren't going to be able to make as much money. You lose a lot of TV Mm -hmm. time. Um, The one good thing about that now is that the ESPN U app has been playing a lot more championship uh, league games, but it it just changes your whole fandom experience. It would be kind of like the, the best example you can give to an American who's not watching is it would be like if your local MLB team got re- you know, got sent to AAA for a year. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, cause honestly I think baseball would benefit from doing stuff like this, but, um, <laughs> but you just, you don't, I, I don't mean, listen, like we live 20 minutes from a, from a double A team and I've never seen them on TV. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I just don't think that when people are, you know, people are like, ah, it's, you'll, you always have next year. In this case, you really don't like, and so it really, yeah, exactly. and exactly. Uh, like yeah. we didn't even, you didn't even talk about the fact that y'all were on like possible points, you know, deduction yeah. watch for a while. Right. And right. so that's, I mean, like if you would have gotten a point deduction, you would have been done for Like there's just no, yeah. hundred percent. No yeah. way. They, they, we stayed up by two points. And so, uh, I mean, yeah. And, and I mean, literally it comes down to again, like a, a 97th minute goal against wolves. And then one, not lucky, but like my team, Everton, like cannot generate goals and haven't been able to generate goals for five years. It's miserable to try and sit through. They got one good goal scoring opportunity in the final game and it went in and you're just like, okay, now we got to hold on for 35 minutes. Cause there's no chance we're going to score a second goal. You know? I mean, it's a, it is, I mean, the truth of it is the last two years I felt more connected to the fan experience than I ever have before, because there was something about like, you're like hanging on and so desperate to just get a goal, to get, to get a point, to be able to, to stay in this mm-hmm. whole thing. Um, and I might, and they haven't been successful at any point in the, the ten. I mean, they've been mid table, which means they've generally finished somewhere between ninth and 12 for most of the decade that I've. So like it, I watch every match and I'm serious about it, but also I'm never rooting for a team that is legitimately going to have a chance at winning anything in so to have them in the bottom the way it's been the last couple of years uh, has probably taken years off of my life, but also has left like this like genuine connection to mm-hmm. the club because it just feels like, all right, I'm really rooting for something here. And if in the in the distant future they are able to like reclaim past glory and be a good club again, like a genuinely good club again, it'll make that yeah. know, more. Um, it'll be like the 2011 Mavs of like, I've been through it with this team and stuff. But doesn't matter if they get relegated and then they're just stuck in championship for the next mm-hmm. decade. Or, or yeah, whatever. I would say the the game against Brighton, Brian, that five yeah, one victory, yeah. that was the turning point. In that, yes, you guys have struggled all year to score, but just to have that like breakthrough of like getting a lot of good chances, I think mm-hmm. y'all like mm-hmm. rode the wave of that the rest of the year to where y'all were yeah. able to stay in games like the Wolves game to be able to take advantage mm-hmm. of the one opportunity in the last game of uh, the season. So I don't think if you don't have that dominant display against a Brighton team who was absolutely spectacular this year, once deserving yeah. got hired, uh, I think, right. I don't think it, it goes y'all's way. Like there's a, there's a good For chance sure. it doesn't go y'all's way. And also the other totally. thing that you haven't mentioned yet is the new stadium, you know, and I think that's going to be a big yeah. deal. And to have that new stadium potentially be in the championship would be a big bummer um, for a lot of right. reasons, financially and, yeah. and deals wise and all that. So uh, stay up yeah. as long as you can, especially once it, once I it know. comes around. I mean, yeah. Final thing there is Tobin kind of touched on it. We, Mike, they're in the, the midst of an ownership, hopefully changeover, but certainly like a major investment that was dependent on 
staying up. And this would be a huge, this is the double whammy of being relegated is number one, you get relegated and then that super stinks. But the other part is like the owner is a, a is a terrible person, but B doesn't have any money because his money was all tied to Russian stuff. And so they desperately need this influx of cash in order to be able to, to compete and just get back to like mid table form, you know? And so it's like, man, if we get relegated, we are also losing that opportunity to, to generate the money that the, that the club really needs to make all this stuff work. And so, yeah, the the two point difference to stay up, like literally this is the difference between this is a, potentially this is the, this is a club that me and my son are going to get to sit and watch and, and enjoy sometimes, but also hate a lot of times, or I have to pick a new club. I mean, that's like legitimately where we were at if if this ends up being relegated. And and so yeah, it's it's a it's a super stressful thing that um has been unenjoyable for long stretches. But uh yeah, we'll see. We'll see if you're next year. So where where are you guys? Yeah, at I was about with, to say with, so uh, with pool. Dennis is a lot more plugged in than I am on Liverpool, so I'm gonna let him kind of take this. But this is the year that we, you know, I I have felt the most disconnected because it was just Every time you turned them on, I felt like I was just getting disappointed for a while. They were mid-table, which is a big deal for Liverpool. They ended up being okay. But, Dennis, uh, talk about the future. What does it look like for, you know, this team? Well, it's looking good so far. Uh, I texted you this morning when I woke up to the news of uh, Alexis McAllister, who is a Brighton midfielder who just won the World Cup with, with Argentina and who is a big part of why they won the World Cup. Uh, he is and has a super sus name for, our yeah, I know, Just I know, I know, uh, he, he's getting bought by Liverpool and the, the reported fee keeps getting like lower and lower to where I think it's going to end up being like 35 million euros was his release clause, which is unbelievable for a guy who, uh, does a lot of everything. Like he, he's a very good, like versatile, like does everything that you want sort of midfielder and this team that was the big problem this year the defense was a problem like the center backs were were kind of in and out throughout the year van dyke honestly had a pretty bad year by his standards if not for allison we would not be in europa league next year our attack is really good still but the midfield is what drives everything and that's always been the the characteristic of a jurgen klopp team and so to get a guy who can do everything, every little thing is a big deal. And we're looking at a, a couple other guys, one from a German club, one from uh, Lille or, or some French club. We're looking at some, some, you know, top five European league guys, but not like superstars, um, especially in the midst of a dude Bellingham signing with Madrid today that came down as official. So um I'm hoping for three or four more midfielders because we've lost three or four of them. And I'm hoping for a couple more center backs uh, or at least one and maybe a, a backup to Sala um, because if he gets hurt, there's not really like a natural replacement in the team. Um, but the end of the year at least gave me some hope with how Trent came into the midfield um, and was really dominant. And also uh, I thought Gakpo was brilliant to end the year just the way that he played and I was super high on him at the World Cup I remember we talked about this when y'all came on on my show to talk about the World Cup mm-hmm. I, I was super big on him um, even before um, November and to see him on my team and to see him thrive with no midfield is pretty great so to see him with a midfield hopefully next year I think I'm, I'm gonna be really excited about so I'm look I'm really hopeful um, but as as the Ted left Ted Lasso episode uh 10 of season one says it's a hope that kills you. So who knows? 
Um, <laughs> yeah. but, but I'm excited. I think we'll be back in top four mix next year, hopefully challenging city for the title. Cause I, I think Arsenal had a, a, not a lucky year, but I think they overachieved. And I also think the same for Newcastle, even though I think Newcastle can definitely be more consistent because of the money they can bring. I don't expect Hell those yeah. teams to you got that Saudi money now. So yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think Liverpool's back up in top four, maybe top two next year, but we'll see. Okay, well, here's to hoping that Liverpool continues to thrive and Everton continues to not thrive, but not get relegated. I don't want I don't want them to get relegated. <laughs> that, so that's exactly yeah. what I what I told you guys. It's like going through all this. It's so funny because Liverpool and Everton are are natural rivals. <clears throat> like if we were in England, we would we would hate each other um, at least every weekend. Um, this whole last couple of years. I told you guys, I was like, I hope, uh, you know, I think you guys were kind of rooting for me down this. No, we definitely were. Health, I definitely but, was, which was, which was great. And I think I would be in the same boat if you guys were ever in the, in that position. But what I told you guys off the air was, you know, thanks for, thanks for the support season's over. I hope you guys finish 17th next year. <laughs> like that's the, that's what I want. Like our 15th, like, I don't want you, I don't want you to feel this kind of stress that I'm going through, but I hope that your team does not succeed. Yeah. Because uh, that's that's how friends. Work. Yeah, thanks to Dennis for coming on. He, once again, he's from the yeah. Dennis and Friends Pod, so check it out. And um, hey, Brian, turn on all the lights over every boy and every girl because it's coaching time. I know who I want to coach my team. I know who I want to coach my team. I know who I want to coach my team. All right, Brian, once again, it is coaching time. A couple weeks ago, we talked about this, but we have some official job places. I'm going to kind of just go through real quick and name a couple of them, and then we'll go back and touch them. So Philadelphia, uh, you know what? We'll do one at a time. That'll be better, actually. Okay. Uh, Philadelphia has decided to hire Nick Nurse, which on paper looks like a decent idea. Uh, he had some success in Toronto. His press conference was something else. <laughs> Um, what are your, so obviously to me, this, this says, this is the beginning of the end of James Harden, I think for the Philadelphia fans, but what are your thoughts about Nick nurse, the fit? And then I'm going to, while you talk about that, I'm going to pull up the quotes from the press conference because those are quite fun. I know. I felt like his press conference quotes were directly aimed at Brad just to be annoyed. Um, Which I love. I'm here for. I'm here for a good troll. Um, I think Nick Nurse is a great coach. I think that it's a. I think this is a smart move for Philly, to go and get who I would say is the best coach on the market. It's a weird move for him. I. I don't know how his vibe and his his bit is going to work with, Embiid. No, no, no. no. And I really don't think it works with Harden. So maybe, I mean, every report we get on Harden seems like, at best, it's like he's he's quote-unquote torn between Philly and Houston. I It seems to me like the, I'd be, I think at this point I'd be pretty pretty surprised if he ended back in Philly, um, which is, an, we'll, we'll talk about that, I'm sure, in a, in a couple of weeks, because it'll be a big deal one way or the other. Um Nurse is a very demanding personality. Uh, I w- I'm I'm waiting. I'm really excited to get the the eventual um, 
the big column on what was going on this year in Toronto and how much of it was him, how much of it was the players, how much of it was Masai kind of pulling a, a, a Danny Ainge all season of like constantly putting people in trade rumors and then um, not doing anything with them. It, th- there's just a lot going on there, and I don't know how much of it was him, but I know that he's part of it, right? Like he has to have a piece of the pie as to why things were so why the vibes were so bad last year and Masai did not hold back at him when, when they fired him or when they, you know, quote unquote, let him go or whatever. Um, all this to say, I think this is a great hire for Philly. I don't know why he chose this job over Milwaukee or Phoenix really, or maybe even the potential like back room. Mm -hmm. Hey, are you interested with the Mavs or whoever else? You know, like I just think that, I don't know how his whole bit is going to work with a guy who I think has work at work ethic issues. And that was, I don't know, man. Like it just seems like a strange fit. It seems like a strange fit. It seems like smart move for the team, but that he could be back on the market in two years. And that, yeah. I don't know. Then, then things, if you get, kind then of we start questioning championship his or not, pedigree. You, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. So what were your thoughts? So on this? the very first thing that I read, because I didn't watch it, was the quote that was like, I don't really vibe on the frequencies of the past, which is just the most <laughs> eye-rolling, like, it's, like, either... He, I think we need to put that on a t-shirt. Honestly. I mean, either, That's, like, uh, I've I've kind of been anti-Brad on him th- thinking he's annoying, and then when he said that, I was like, you know what? It's kind of like that glass-shattering moment of, you know what? Okay, Brad, I see what you're saying. Like, Brad's been the only one that's been, like, ready for this <laughs> by that point. Um... That just, it feels like I was listening to either a person that has a really bad thing that's happened and he's trying to move forward for it from it. Uh-huh, like, yeah. you know, like Bryson DeChambeau got interviewed last night about the, <laughs> the live and PGA thing. And it was just like, we're yeah. all just trying to be better people, but yeah, Hey man, they're human trafficking, you know, and killing people. So it was just kind of <laughs> like, you shouldn't say things like that. Or it felt like he was just a sixties who couldn't get past like the drug phases or whatever, but yeah, <laughs> just yeah, yeah. that was weird. Yeah. Um, he made a comment. I don't know if you caught this. He made someone asked him about Embiid and he said, I'm going to read the quote. Exactly. He said, Joel has a lot of attributes. First of all, defensively, very, very good. Right. Like question mark. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then offensively is very skilled and it's a little bit early, but I think that once it starts and it starts unfolding, we start learning each other and all those things. We're just going to try to max it out. Like there's no world where Joel Embiid is sitting there listening to that thinking like, Oh, he thinks I have more. No, screw this guy. Like I did everything I could this year. I won the MVP. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like that's gotta be how Embiid reacted to that. Right. I mean, like there's no yeah. world where Nick nurse in his mind has, anything that he can make Joel better offensively. Like I just, mm. I mean, I think there might be, I, I'm not, I'm not sure, but I, I'm trying yeah, to think in yeah, the, through yeah. the mind of Embiid. I feel like this mm. is going to end very, I don't want to say poorly. Cause I don't know. I, I it's going to, this is going to be a very interesting mix of personalities in the room, which they've already been dealing with, with Harden yeah. and him. So, and Ben Simmons and what else, but just, I don't know, man. I, 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 the vibes in Toronto got real weird this year and yeah, hundred percent. And, and yeah. I, and doc is a player's coach. Like he, he's not, you know, he's yeah. not a, a great success in the playoffs coach, but he definitely is a player's coach and people play, love playing for him. And yeah. these players have been known to kind of like sulk and hide away a little mm-hmm. bit. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this goes. And he punches him in the mouth a little bit. 
Yeah, it's like last thing I'll say is like I I, I kind of feel bad for like our <clears throat> friends who are Philly fans. I don't care about the Philly fans in general, but because they hired the best coach on the market. And and even still, I'm like, nope, not not a huge fan of this. And so I feel like there's a part of me that feels a little bit bad about that mm-hmm. because you did what you're supposed to do. You went out and you got a yeah. great coach. I just think that it, to me, it just highlights how much this last playoff quote run um, solidified in my brain of just like, no, these guys, I'm not going to be fooled by this anymore. These guys are who they, who I think that they are. I'm not falling for this Embiid thing ever again. Um, and so there's a part of me that just feels like it's, it's just sort of inevitable. You're just, you're going to be the team that's very good in the regular season and, and doesn't do anything in the playoffs. And it's just going to have to be, you're going to have to prove it to me differently. So yeah, they did a great job of getting an incredible coach. Um, it's just, I just don't like the fit and the vibe. And I, I'm just very curious on his standpoint, like what he was thinking there. Maybe, maybe the Milwaukee interviews went poorly or something, but it just seemed like a natural fit for him to go to the Bucks because that felt like a Nick Nurse team mm-hmm. and a team that was with super with superstar and um, supporting stars who would who would vibe with what he does and how he wants to play and stuff. And for him to not go that route, I just don't I don't really understand it. So prove me wrong because I think he's a great coach, but this kind of could be a really disastrous thing for him. Uh, long term yeah so the next team was the uh phoenix suns hired frank vogel which is is big news because he's you know won a championship recently and he took a year off um i think you and i are a little bit more skeptical on his ability as a coach um i think the bigger news is that they kept kevin young and that they signed david fisdale Mm -hmm. uh who players have shown to love over years his head coaching prowess whatever that's that's a different story but um what do you think about Vogel's hiring? I, I was very surprised to see them go this route, to be honest with you. But what do you think about Vogel? Vogel's weird to me because it's like it's not his fault what happened in in L.A. last year. Um, he was sort of the scapegoat for them missing the playoffs for a disastrous roster construction um, and and players, uh, you know, the star players, the way that they play down the stretch. I don't think it was his fault. I just think that he's like fine. <laughs> I, like when this yeah, when this popped up yeah. in the Discord the other day, I just quote tweeted and said, "I guess you know." I mean, it's it's fine. Um, I think that he's, if I'm being honest, I think he's better served as a head assistant. Um, he would have been somebody that obviously I would like to have had on the bench with the Mavs, um, or like he would have been an interesting coach to add to like Adrian Griffin's staff mm-hmm. in in Milwaukee who. I think we talked about that. I think that hiring had just happened when we talked last, but uh, regardless, I, I'll put it this way. I don't think Frank Vogel is going to be the reason that the Suns don't win a title. And I don't think that he's going to be the reason yeah. that, that they do win a title. And, and for the Suns, that's the goal. Like there isn't a not winning a title or at the very least not being a final four team next year is a failure. Mm-hmm. And so, I'm not sure that how much he's going to impact. He's he's just interesting. He was a very good. Co- I thought he was a he was a solid coach in Indiana. The defensive scheme with the Lakers uh, was obviously a huge part of why they were successful um, in the bubble and in that run was was the switching basically to to have uh, Davis at the five most of the time and just the defensive schemes and that comes from mm-hmm. him. Um, but he also had a lot of tools at his disposal on that team to make that work. 
Uh, I mean, that was a team that was, you know, 52 and 19 before the bubble, or including the bubble, excuse me. Um, and then he was a terrible coach in Orlando. So I, you know, I, I think he's fine. I think he's a good coach who's not really going to, he's not going to raise you and he's not going to lower you. So it's, it's, he's sort of, and maybe that's fine for Kevin Durant and, and Devin Booker and whatever else that roster looks like. Um, you know, it's probably a good, it's, it's a good cush, cush job for him in a way to like step into that. Now you got to deal with personalities, but that's a huge part of it anyway, no matter where you go. I, I just, um, they were all very excited about this. And I think it's it's fine. I think it's fine. I, I, I think this was. I would have liked to have him on the bench here. I think this is the owner's showing his hand that he is going to do what he can to make DeAndre Ayton not grumpy. Because like Ayton has okay. to look at that as a oh he's won a title and look what he did with AD that year. And I don't necessarily think that's the greatest strategy. Uh, and I think Ayton is probably just going to be Ayton no matter who's there. But. I I true I feel like this is this is his way of saying hey we don't want to trade you we're going to bring you a coach in that's got proven center help in the past so I could be wrong but okay. I don't know um, the biggest news I think was Monty Williams going to Detroit and it wasn't that he went to Detroit because Monty Williams has had success he's he's a good guy he's a good coach um, the biggest thing is is that he signed a six year. $79 million <laughs> deal to go to Detroit. And that's a choice. Like I, I mean, I don't think it's a, a bad one necessarily, but it's, it's definitely, you know, Eric Spolstra and Steve Kerr have to be licking their chops now. Like Kerr might put off retirement for a couple of years now, cause that is massive. Uh, what are your thoughts about the contract first, but then also about like the fit with Monty? It's been a while. By the way, the Suns gave Kevin Young a five-year, ten million dollar contract to stay too. So uh, that's a that's a high, that's a pretty high rate for an assistant coach, um, which is which is interesting. Um, this is a huge amount of money. I think I'm of two minds on Monty Williams. Um, I think that he is a great coach for this situation. Like I think what he did in Phoenix, I for some reason I feel like it's gotten. Well, it's it's gotten MIB flashy thinged. Um, th- there's been this. The narrative has changed to the Suns took off when Chris Paul got traded to them, and I feel like that negates uh, that they were undefeated in the bubble mm-hmm. and that they were trending up before the shutdown in in 2020. And I think so much of that is. I think Monty is responsible for it. We've, we've said multiple times the thing that Monty did for the Suns more than anything else was just make them a professional basketball team in much the same way that Mike Brown did that with, uh, with the Kings this year. Just like bringing in somebody who can make, who, who the players, who young players will listen to and who can make these guys be professionals and, and learn what it takes to be professionals is a huge thing when you have you have young players and the, and the Pistons next year, the Pistons need to be in the playoffs next year. Um, with, with Cade and Ivy and, and, um, and Jalen Dern and some of the other parts that they have around them. And then, a, a, you know, a high pick in the lottery this year, they need to be at the very least, they need to be a secure play in team next year. And I think that Monty's a, the right coach to do that, to mm-hmm. like take them to that next level. I also, this, the flip side of this is I don't think Monty Williams is a very good coach like in in terms of the in-game 
adjustments and uh, managing the team. And I also, I don't think I would, if I was a head coach in the NBA, I, I, I don't think that I would enjoy working with DeAndre Ayton either. Um, but also you have to, you have to deal, you have to work with what you have. And I think it's pretty clear that he alienated Ayton and whatever responsibility Ayton plays in that. I agree. I'm with you. The head coach has to, I mean, how much crap do we give, um, Jason Kidd. Oh for, yeah, I mean he def for alienating Christian. He Wood. definitely yeah. alienated Aiton big time. I mean there was def there's yeah. no doubt in my mind that he he created a lot of that tension. Um, so that's yeah. why that's why I kind of feel like the owner is picking a a side with okay we know this sucked but like let us find a way to make right. it work for you. Right. Yeah, I think Monty is a great man. I think just just genuinely I think he's a just a good for person sure. and and I think that he's a great coach for exactly what the Pistons need for the next two or three years. My question then is the, the four years after that, when he's getting paid um, or the three years after that, I guess when he's getting paid a large sum of money and I have a hard time believing that he's going to be the right coach to take this team or any team to like, I know that he was in the finals. So it's like, I'm, I'm not being, I'm not trying to, no, I, I think at the end of the day, best case scenario, when it comes to like the actual, like take them over the top, he best case scenario, he's a Frank Vogel. He's not a Steve Kerr or a Spo or a, you know, whoever else you want to, you want to name in that conversation. I think he's a great dude who I would love to hang out with. I think he's great to teach young guys how to be professional basketball players. I don't know what he brings to the table as far as a championship coach pedigree goes. And that may be the thing that you regret when you're looking at a six year, $80 million. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, totally. And I like, hopefully those young guys will learn from him because he like the stuff he was doing as an assistant in Oklahoma city on top of, uh, the, the early, like you said, the early days of Phoenix, like that needs to be noted in this situation too. The other big thing I think he did was he was bringing Steven Silas into her staff. Steven Silas has yeah, had a rough time in Houston. Like there's no, there's no denying that, but as an assistant, we saw firsthand here, he was a fantastic assistant. So, 100%, um, yeah, Okay, one last uh, one. Toronto still has not hired anybody. Uh, and there's a couple of names out there that make sense for them. And so um, Kenny Atkinson is the one that makes the most sense. I think Kenny Atkinson has got – I think he's kind of like the uh, – I think he's got some something in the works that he knows about. I don't know. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I said the same thing about Ime Yudoka, and that never came to fruition. But um, sure. Kenny Atkinson – Kenny Atkinson to me, I, I'm with you. I think – I feel like he's waiting for Golden State. I do too. I think with the Bob Myers, but we didn't really talk about that. Myers leaving Golden State. I feel like the Warriors are in a one last year mode next year, and and then I think it, I think it's Kenny Atkinson's job after that. But you know, could be surprised. I think that he's a very good coach, and he would be. Toronto just has so many things they got to figure out. I think that's more the thing than than anything else. Tobin is just them trying to figure out who they are and what they're going to do. Are they, are they rebuilding? Are they tanking? Are they going to like try to add a piece or two and come back strong next year? Like, what are they, what are they doing there? And, you know, uh, I think maybe that's part of the whole hiring thing Mm -hmm. is like guys go in for an interview and are like, I, what are, what, what's the plan here guys? Like, are we, am I expected to win season one or am I expected to be managing a, a tanking team season one, you know, I don't, I don't know where they, they land on that. It's gotta be kind of hard, honestly, to, to fill that job. Well, they're not exactly doing themselves favors by being the last team with an open spot now. Cause, 
I mean, yeah, I totally. I totally think that I thought Adrian Griffin was going to end up there, honestly, and that, and sure. I think that would have yeah. been a good fit. And so it doesn't make any a whole lot of sense that they are now just kind of sitting there waiting. It's weird that a guy leaves a, a bench where he was an assistant to be the head coach somewhere else. Like it's a strange. It, when, when, when there's, there's an a coaching opening, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. It's a it's a weird deal. Yeah. All right, that is all we have. Oh wait, no, we have one more. Let's lead us into Mavs time. But the Mavs are linked to for an assistant job because for some stupid reason we still have a head coach. <laughs> um, they're linked to Jeff Van Gundy and Jeff Hornacek to possibly come on to the bench to help Jason Kidd. Um, they are one sixty one and two sixteen combined. Yeah, Hornacek, Hornacek is. Oh, sorry, yeah, Hornacek. But that yeah. <laughs> that's a choice, man. Jeff Van Gunny hasn't coached in years. And I like first of all, like this has this the feeling of like someone from the Mavs is saying, Oh, we'll just go get Jeff Van Gundy. And then someone with Jeff Van Gundy is like, um, I'm making more money to sit and watch games and I don't want to sit there and and get yelled at by Jason Kidd and you know, Luca and all that stuff. And so Also, like you made this point the other day off the air. How long has it been since Jeff Gundy was actually on the bench? I mean, I really don't know. 2010 years at least. It's 15 years at least. Gosh, like 2007, 2008. I I, I think that it would be pretty fair to say that there's been a lot of times during a game that he will say something and I'll be like, well, that's not how the game is, you know, and I just don't want that on my bench at all. So uh, what are your thoughts about that? I'm pretty sure we're the same, but what are your thoughts? Number one, there's no world in which Van Gundy is giving up. I don't know how much he makes at at uh, ESPN, but it's it's enough. There's no world. It's world not two in which million dollars. Like it's no, more. No. Yeah, and we 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 know that, that Cuban doesn't have the the bankroll to be paying out you know a crazy contract for an assistant coach. So he's not going to do that. Not for an assistant coaching job. For a head coaching job, maybe, but not for an assistant coaching job. Um. That just reeks of the Mavs trying. Uh, good lord, terrible. But number two on that, what I, I know that he's been coaching FIBA, um, like the the World Cup teams and stuff. There is nothing that he says in the course of an NBA game or the course of a podcast. I know that that like Zach Lowe and and Rosillo both love having Van Gundy on. I those are unlistenable to me. I. There is nothing that he says that makes me believe that he understands the game of basketball in 2023. So the only thing that he adds as an assistant coach, I think is like just an experienced hand and maybe some discipline. And if the players will respond to that discipline from an assistant Which, coach and I, will that's they? questionable to me. Cause like, yeah, that's what, that's questionable to me. At best. It, the thing I, is, I don't, I don't know. Even when yeah. he was a coach, like, it's okay. I'm looking at him now. His last year was in Houston in 2006, 2007. Mm-hmm. They were, yeah. I mean, like he had decent years there, but like he also had Yao Ming, Tracy McGrady, James. Like, was he was he in the mm-hmm. James Harden? I don't think he was yet. No, he wasn't. No, um, and so you, he's he is only four thirty and three eighteen, so roughly fifty eight percent winning percentage. Like he wasn't like this stop down amazing coach when he was a coach. And mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. like, I do think he has experience and I think he has, you know, pedigree from that, from that perspective, but 
none of these players, like if we're being honest, like do you really think Jaden Hardy knows Jeff Van Gundy as a coach? No, no. he knows no. him as Jeff Van Gundy, the, the bald dude that says stupid crap on an ESPN broadcast. Like, like yeah. he's not Reggie Miller on the broadcast, but he's not, you know, I don't know. I just, there's not a world yeah. where those players, they didn't listen to him, but I, they don't know him. They don't, they don't, this isn't like Pat Riley deciding to go back to a bench. And it's like this, you know, Pat Riley is a guy who's been successful in everything he's done. And he's got a yes. great coaching, yeah. like if Phil Jackson decided to come back, that, that is different. Yeah. It's been 10 plus years, but they know that's Pat Riley. That's Phil Jackson. Jeff and Gunny doesn't have that same vein in fact if they do know him for anything it's probably for hanging on alonzo morning's leg during a game <laughs> and yeah no it's, it would be I, again it's not going to happen so it doesn't me, matter let me preface this by saying like i'm not trying to say that like he's a bad coach i just don't think he's known for coaching and so like that that but, but, i don't know yeah i mean i regardless i again you, i mean what does he i just don't i, I I'll tell you this, like the other day, um, the game two of the 2011 finals popped up, um, cause it was the, that was the anniversary mm-hmm. of, of Mavs heat comeback. Um, and I watched the last 20 minutes of it on, on YouTube and that was 12 years ago. Okay. He was only what, four years removed from coaching at that point. And I, by the way, I'm not even anti Van Gundy on the call for the most part. I think that generally speaking he's somebody that when he's calling your team's games it's super That's annoying fair. and when he's calling a random game between two teams you don't really care about it's you're just not really noticing it's because you know more about your team than he knows mm-hmm. about your team and so that's that's a huge part of it tobin he had so many l's in that 20 minutes and mark jackson was even worse but like there was a point this is just a very very small example uh the the Mavs in this game the Mavs are down 15 points one of the greatest comebacks in NBA finals history 15 points like six minutes left to go in the game they come back they win the Mavs go on like a 7-0 run something like that Heat call timeout they come out of the timeout Bron's bringing the ball up the court and Jason Terry's pressing him so he gets the inbound and it's not even a hard press it's just to like make him turn three times you know before they get into the half court and then Terry as soon as as soon as LeBron gets to the hash mark basically Terry takes off, goes to his guy, and Marion comes over to take LeBron. And Van Gundy is, like, kind of apoplectic on this call. Of like, what is Jason Terry doing? What is he doing? All this sort of stuff. Hey, bud, um, they got across half court at, at 16. They got into their offense at 9 instead of getting into their offense at 14 or 15. That's the, that's the reason. That's why he did that. Like, how do you – how were you an NBA head coach – and not understand that there's some benefit to keeping LeBron James from just like barreling down towards the basket, even out of a timeout. Like, what are we, what are we talking about? And I think that there's so many things. If you, if you dissected a finals game, if you, if, if we, if we came in here next time and talked ex- instead of about the game, but about the broadcast with Van Gundy, I think you could find 50 times a game where he says something that's like, do you understand basketball at this point? And so why would I want that on my coaching staff? Mm-hmm. Again, if, if, if all he's there is to like sort of mentor kid in terms of like being a professional coach, then I guess, but he's not going to do that for the money that, that the Mavs are going to be able to pay. So, you know, who cares? And Hornacek, 
Hornacek's not a good coach. He never, he was never a good coach. I don't, I don't know what you're, what you think he's bringing to the table. I would so much rather have hired James Borrego or Steven Silas or somebody who, <laughs> who somebody could take over in December for Jason Kidd, but also somebody who I think probably understands the game better than these two guys do. I mean, I'll be honest, dude. It, it seems to me like they they thought that they were going to get Frank Vogel as an assistant coach. And then so they waited on that. And then Frank Vogel got a head coaching job. And now they're like, oh, crap, we have to find somebody now because we yeah. talked publicly about needing to improve the bench, the, the, the coaching staff. And they've done nothing. Literally so, nothing. And there's people that we have <laughs> ties to that have gone other places, too. So. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. OK, well, on that note, we have a short mass time. Sad mouse time Sad mouse time Sad mouse time Sad mouse time Alright Brian I played the sad mouse time Because it just doesn't feel like anything's happy anymore (laughs) So I put on the run sheet on the first note Heavy sigh Because it's This is I mean Listen So much Tobin there's some mass Twitter today. If you if you have lived under a rock and listening to the show for the last three days, uh, I guess it was was it Monday? Yeah, on Monday of this week, the Chris Haynes and Sham. I think Sham said it first, and then Chris Haynes backed yeah. it up. Came out and said that Kyrie Irving is recruiting LeBron to come to the Mavs, and all of the NBA Twitter world just exploded. And unfortunately we were in the middle of that explosion. So let's just start off with the top. The Kyrie Irving is a free agent and LeBron is not until next off season. Uh, this has been floated apparently before this year. Like I mean, Bill Simmons talked about how he sees his, his wildcard prediction was that Draymond and LeBron will end up in Dallas with us. I think that was before the Kyrie trade. So it may have been a little bit different mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when he said that. But basically, the long and short of it is, is that Kyrie is trying to recruit LeBron to come to Dallas to be a big three for the last two or three years he has to play. Um, before we get into the actual trade ideas and the actual um, possibilities of what could happen, what is your initial thought of that? Like pairing LeBron with... I just with, think that uh, on top of the, LeBron like... Yeah, that on top of the, like... Hey, um, this is happening. What is like, what, what, like the possibility of it. And also like just the general of finding out that news on Monday. And what was your initial thoughts about it? I mean, this is, I, this organization, Tobin is not equipped to handle. It's not equipped to handle 2023, but certainly not equipped to handle how the media works when you're employing somebody like Kyrie Irving, mm-hmm. because for, for two decades, the Mavs were as like tight a ship as any team in professional yeah, sports. Never like, heard there were no it. leaks that came out. Yeah. Nothing comes out of, of Mavs camp. Um, it's always sort of, I mean, and I, I, I applaud that. It's a great thing. It's always like, you know, sort of, uh, fed to Mark Stein or somebody like that. Um, and so anything you heard, you could almost take as gospel because it, it, nothing got out, nothing got out ever. And then the Donnie Nelson stuff got so ugly and messy and that's when everything starts spilling out. And now they're in a world where again, an ownership group that 
is just so, I don't know why I called it a group. It's not a group. It's just Cuban. Cuban is just so behind the times on every single thing that he does. They're not ready and they're not equipped to have, to have Kyrie on the team, somebody who is leaking information constantly. It's so clear when Shams reports it and then Haynes reports it, you know exactly where the information is coming from. Yeah, it's either it's and either Kyrie or LeBron. Can, it could have been LeBron too. Right, right. This is one of the reasons why I wouldn't I wouldn't have I'm gonna say this 14 times probably in the next five minutes that we talk about this. But like this is one of the reasons why I wouldn't have traded for Kyrie Irving. It's not you are constantly, constantly going to be involved in a media circus anytime you have a guy like this on your team. And this team's not not prepared for that. So the idea of Kyrie Irving recruiting LeBron James to come play with Luka in Dallas, like, okay, cool. That sounds fun. That sounds great on paper. Um, the Mavs have flirted with, with LeBron a thousand times over the years, and, and LeBron has flirted with Luka a lot over the years. So, like, there's some, like, okay, that makes sense, I guess, that he would want to come here. And then you're like, right, but he has a, he's, he's owed $50 million over the next two seasons, each over the next two seasons. There's no way that the Mavs can trade for him. And more so, even if they did, for the, with the way that the new CBA is going to work, and we haven't really gotten into the CBA too much. That has been a major topic of on pods and in NBA media over the last few days because it feels like people finally got the document and have had time to like mm-hmm. read through it and stuff. This is kind of disastrous for the league because I feel like the main goal of this new CBA is to prevent the owners from having to spend more money. And that's going to lead to worse product and worse teams mm-hmm. as a result. The idea of employing Luca, Kyrie and LeBron under the new CBA would quite literally mean the rest of the team are minimum contract guys. <laughs> like maybe a couple like, Oh, Jaden Hardy's still here. Thank God. Cause he's still on his rookie deal. I mean, that's what we're talking about. So, how are you filling out the roster if you put those three guys together? How does, let's be honest, how do those three guys, how do you how do you craft a defense with those three guys together? Because LeBron was awful on defense for the, the most part this season because he's 38 years old, 39 years old, you know? Um, and what, does that even work with those three guys on the floor together offensively? Because that's a lot of, there's only one basketball, as we like to say. So how does, I mean, LeBron's not a spot-up shooter. So, and I don't know that Luka is a spot-up shooter either. So it 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 feels ridiculous to be like, no, thank you. I'm not interested in LeBron James. And that's not really what I'm saying. I'm saying under the way that the league works at this point, the way that the CBA is structured, the way, even if this is a possibility, it's kind of disastrous to try to to piece that together if it was gonna happen lebron needs to go back in time and not sign the extension and then he's free to do whatever he wants this summer and you know that's the way it goes what i feel like more more than anything else tobin is that this just leads to Kyrie forcing his way to the lakers instead of lebron forcing his way to the Mavs. yeah and that was what i what i said off the air was I feel like he's tr- he's saying one thing, but he's actually trying to do the opposite, which is honestly mm-hmm. fine because like we would actually benefit from that. Um, but let me let me be okay. I've been not optimistic, and I've been devil's advocate. I mean, I'm sorry, I've been dri- driving with you on most everything lately. 
Mm-hmm. Here's my devil's advocate thing to this is that one, anytime you can get LeBron to come to your team that does wonders for your marketing, mm-hmm. it does wonders for um, the the type of veterans that are wanting to come to your team. Um, it also does wonders for like, it makes us a real player post LeBron, which is, which mm-hmm. is stupid. First of all, let me say that it's dumb, but that's the way this league is working lately. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that 38 year old LeBron basketball wise has to, like, I don't have to worry about that. Like Luca is clearly the number the number one in that situation. And so like basketball, I don't even care about that. Like right now, but it's, it, it does, it does make it, it's kind of like when we almost got Shaq, before 2006 you know and it was just like okay like this may not be the best idea in the world but like if Shaq comes other people are gonna come and then he goes to Miami and look what happened you know other people came they drafted Dwayne Wade and they won a couple titles you know or won a title uh and so I I feel like this is not a bad thing if it happens The, the the bad stuff about it to me is that means you're obviously re maxing Kyrie and you're bringing an even bigger circus to the Dallas. That's already, you know, already a big circus as it is. Um, but I do think there are some positives to this, but here's, here's the reality. Okay. So let me, let's, let's talk about, we talked about what we think about it. Here's the reality. I sent you three trades that, cause you know, I love the trade machine and there is, there is no world where barring LeBron going to the, the, the manage the, you know, the, the front office mm-hmm. and saying mm-hmm. you trade me to the Mavs or I'm going to make your life hell, <laughs> you know, which, which he's known to right. do. I not, maybe not that, but he, he has the power to do that. I guess I should say the best case scenario for the Mavs is the first one I sent you, which is just, well, no, sorry. That's a second. It's a second one I sent you, which is JaVel McGee, Davis Bertans, Tim Hardaway to junior, Josh green in, in our number 10 pick this year. That's the best mm-hmm. case scenario for us. Okay. If you're a Lakers fan and you listen to this, you just threw up in your mouth a lot, okay? Because that's horrible. Like, the only benefit that that brings the Lakers is Hardaway's contract is good. Berton's is expiring after this year. And McGee's is low and he's a body. It's just a money matcher. And you get the 10 pick and a player in Josh Green who's young and up and coming kind of. Um, Mm -hmm. Still not great. The second level of that is that same trade, but you swap out – Bertans for Maxi, which from a Maverick standpoint, that makes us significantly worse um, defensively. And we're already going to be significantly worse defensively if LeBron comes on. Um, But that's still not great if you're the Lakers. If you're the Lakers, the best thing, the best thing we can give you that's not named Luka Doncic, okay, is this Mm -hmm. trade. It's it's JaVale Hardaway, Josh Green, the Tim pick. And then we throw in Maxi instead of Davis. And then our mm-hmm. and then Jaden Hardy, who was our uh, who was our draft pick that we got a steal on, and then we probably throw in a first round pick that we're I'm not even sure which one we're allowed to yeah. trade at this point. And then you get so you get our number ten pick and then a later first round pick. That is our best case scenario. And again, if you're the mm-hmm. Lakers, you're kind of throwing up in your mouth a little bit. And if you're the Mavs, that makes you significantly worse, no matter who's coming. I mean, you could have freaking the reincarnation of of LeBron's career come over, and we're still not great in that situation. So, yeah, that that's the thing. It's it's that's why this is so unrealistic. Uh, and then to take it to another unrealistic level, like there was some there was some in in it, it wasn't even just Mavs Twitter. It was like it's just like 
NBA Twitter at large who are like, what about a buyout? What if LeBron gets bought out? I'm like, he's not, he's not getting bought out. Are you serious? Um, yeah, I mean, that would literally leave you with a, that team would be LeBron, Kyrie, and Luka, which, okay, cool, that sounds awesome. Resigning Dwight Powell, because you'd still have his bird rights. And then what else? Like Reggie Bullock? Okay. Um, I mean, you literally would be filling your roster with minimum players. Which for 38-year-old LeBron, like that worked in Miami and Cleveland and whatnot. It doesn't work when he's 38 years old. But he will Um, get certain players to come here that we wouldn't get otherwise. So You will get people that come, um, but it will... The pull on who he can bring in at this point is smaller than it's ever been before. And you're not talking about filling out like the last three people in a rotation. You're talking about filling out literally 12 spots on the roster. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not conceivable. Even if that was a good trade for either part, you know, I, I, I don't know that the, the only, we, we all know how this works with superstars. The only way that a superstar gets traded, if he demands to go and the only way that, that he gets to some of the places that they want to get to is because he says, I'm only going here or, you know, whatever else we know how mm-hmm. this works. We've seen it with countless superstars in the past. Um, so th- I mean, that's not a good trade for the Lakers at all. That doesn't necessarily matter if he says, I'm going to the Mavs, get me to the Mavs, because that's how these things work. It's just, that's a horrible team. That's a horrible team. And it, and also, it's not a team that works in today's NBA. I mean, I think that we have seen, I think that we've seen the end of of triples, you know, of needing yeah. three guys, three super, of having three superstars. Like, that's just not, that's not a reality anymore. And... Um, and it does, hasn't worked the last couple of times that teams have tried to do it. And so I just, this is an, I, I get why it's out there. I get why it's tantalizing to NBA Twitter and whatnot. It's just, it's not realistic for either side. And, and moreover, I just don't know how it would even, it would even work. I would hate watching that team. I know that it sounds stupid to say I don't want LeBron on my team. That's not really what I'm saying. I, t- I told you off the air, I think the move is to like get Kyrie to recruit LeBron and then trade yeah. Kyrie. <laughs> like as soon as you, as soon as he's trade eligible after signing the, uh, the new contract, I, I just, I fall back on this feels like LeBron and Kyrie are trying to team up again, which I guess why, why why would you want to team up with Kyrie? I don't understand. But they want to team up again, fine. This ultimately ends in trying to get him to the Lakers. And that's really what I want to talk about there is we're running we're getting close to this the the off season now. Um, you know, in a month we'll basically be done with all the player movement, mm-hmm. you know, which is crazy how quickly it goes once once that July 1st uh hits. Um what are you what do you want to do with Kyrie? If you're in charge, what are you doing? If you're the man. I just don't want to lose him for nothing. That's that's my main okay. thing is God, I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. I would rather sign him and then have him as a trade chip later mm-hmm. than let him I don't know, man. Like I mean, I, I at the beginning of the season I was like, no, let let him walk, but if he cuz the thing is that now is that we kind of hold a little bit of the power of he can't get to the teams he wants to get to without our help. 
mm-hmm. or without yeah. somebody's help. Because like the Lakers can always sign and trade with whoever they want. You know, it doesn't have to. No, that's not true. He has to sign with you sign with trade with us, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. he can't. He so can't sign. No matter what happens, he has to have our help if he wants to go to the Lakers. Um, which I think is why he's doing this because he he, he knows that he, he can't get to the Lakers essentially, and so, um, mm-hmm. I just I really. I really think if if we're not going to sign him, then you need to get Vanderbilt and some other pieces back. And then, you know, theoretically, you could use half of that money you're going to sign for Kyrie to get some some of those pieces back from the from the Lakers and then use the other half to go sign, a, you know, a, a higher, slightly better than mid-level player to just fill out the team. I mean, we're seeing right now what's happening in Denver of players that we, you know, we, you have been beating the drum for for years of this kind of player would be great here. We've got to do stuff more like that. Now, obviously, we don't have a Jamal Murray to help with our, you know, superstar like they do, but we need to do a team building more like that and less like, let's just bring in these these players. I mean, we have a lot of hard decisions to make for sure. And so, um, yeah. you know, and also including like not bringing players like Dwight Powell back. Like, are you going to give Dwight Powell a, a deal to come back or is he going to walk and get offered, you know, eight to 12 million somewhere else? And, um, cause I don't want him back on $11 million or, or what, or more. No, and so, no, I, um, I just, I just, it would really suck to trade the players that we traded and the pick that we traded for half a season that ended up in us not even making the freaking playoffs. And so I, I just want to get something for him, whether that's now or, you know, mm-hmm. this time next year. I don't know. I, I mean, again, <laughs> I wouldn't have traded for Kyrie Irving. That would have been my number one play. Um, I think that the problem that they're at at this point, I, I, was telling you off the air as we were kind of throwing some of these things around was, was I just haven't, I, and I, I'm not known for being an optimistic sports fan, uh, to begin with, but this is like, I, I, this is as low as I've been in a long time. Like the more I think about it, the more I feel like we're, this is, this is doomed. Like to go from a year ago this time, just over a year ago this time, they're in the conference finals to not making the playoffs, to now having a really poor roster, talent poor roster, and and then having to to sign up for 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 the Kyrie experience, or not sign up for the Kyrie experience and be kind of hosed on that front too. I, it's a bad place, man. They're in a really bad place, and I think what my goal would be is to. You can't reset the timeline because uh, you have Luka Doncic. I think that the goal needs to be resetting the roster to a place of balance where you can then start actually team building again. And God knows I don't trust Mark Cuban to do the team building, but I think that that is your best case scenario because I my what I see what I foresee happening unfortunately is they they fully they go all in on Kyrie. They resign. They fill the roster how they can around the margins, which will be done poorly and with very few assets. And then come February, they're going to be sort of hovering in that like six to 10 range. Um, and then the, the Kyrie noise is going to increase. And then that leads to the Luca noise increasing 
and you're just hose. What I would do instead is say, um, I think that the goal should be to try to bring to to get ten rotation, pl- ten good players, nine good players around Luca on the roster, and and kind of reset back to where they were last season and the season before of we don't have the second star, but we have good quality role players around an unbelievable superstar guy. And as we move into this new CBA where it is going to be harder and harder to put together good rosters and good teams that have, you know, double (coughs) multiple superstars and stuff. um, Now we can be in a position where we can, we can start making moves around that and try to figure it out at the right time and pull the trigger at the right time instead of rushing things back. I just think that that is the quickest way. And now this team has, has been known for taking the quickest way out, which is pretty frustrating. So maybe that's, maybe I'm foolish, like falling into that same category. But I think that the best, if, if it was me, I think what I would do, like the trade that was out there and I hate talking like fake trades because like I always say, it's like, I'll throw this out there as this is what I saw. And a Lakers fan will say, that's the dumbest thing ever. Why would we do that? And a Mavs fan will say, that's the dumbest thing ever. Why would we do that? And it's just, yeah, I, I get it. Like it's, it's impossible to talk about these things until they actually happen. But the trade that was sort of out there was Beasley, Vanderbilt, Hachimura on a, on a sign and trade. And then 17, I think is their pick, um, which they can't, they couldn't trade. It would have to be like the Andrew Wiggins thing, where it's it's sixty days after the draft type of thing, because you can't you can't trade a pick right now in a sign trade. Um, I don't want. There's no world in which I would take Russell in a sign and trade um, at all. Like I'm not like on a minimum contract. I'm not interested in that. But uh, if you did something in that range, then for Kyrie is what I'm saying. Rui, Rui, Vando, Beasley and a pick for Kyrie that puts you in a place where you can, where the Mavs can look at the roster and say, yes, we still do not have the, the second star and we still don't have a second ball handler to go with Luca, which is tragic given Brunson and Dinwiddie on this team. But at least if you do that, then you say now the holes that we have to plug are, we're looking for a second ball handler. Hardy then maybe can potentially be the third ball handler, which would be great. I don't want, I'm really worried, Tobin, about the pressure that Mavs Twitter is going to put on what they want Hardy to be. And I think that it, it's like, I'm not saying it should just, we should just take whatever he can do as a bonus. Like he needs to step up and be, hopefully, with a good summer, he's going to be somebody who is a legitimate rotation player, um, if not maybe even a starter. But I think that asking him to do more than, to do a whole lot more than what he's done beyond just being consistent is unfair of somebody who is a second round pick and is 19 or whatever. Um, but if you do that, then you say, we've got to figure out a center position. We've got to figure out how to get a center and we've got to figure out how to, to find like a second ball handler. But we then have 10 guys who are NBA players and we can sort of carve out some identity and have a little bit of versatility and flexibility with the guys that we have on that roster rather than saying we've got Luca and Kyrie and then we've got some guys and we'll hope, you know, I, I, I think that doing a moving Kyrie for three players, I think three NBA quality NBA players, regardless of what they're going to be in the playoffs. Cause Beasley was not a playoff player 
this year, and I don't think has ever been a playoff player. Um, I think that that's a smarter way to get back to a place where you could you could look at that roster and say if Luca's doing what Luca does, that team has a legitimate chance of being a top four team in the West, and we'll just go from there. Whereas re-signing Kyrie and trying to like build a roster with no no real ability to do so at that point, you know probably lends itself to another bad trade down the stretch, like a another desperate trade to try to bring somebody in. And I just think they should just go back to just trying to build a competent roster and then figure out the second, you know, the, the second big piece later down the road. That's, that's what my move would be. Yeah. Um, which is probably exactly what, what Cuban won't do. Cause Cuban is obsessed with big mm-hmm. names and, uh, just doesn't, I, I'm just really worried at this point, man. I think, mm-hmm. I think they're in a bad, I think it's worse. I, I feel worse about it than I did, than I have at any point in this, this stretch. It just, it, it doesn't necessarily feel inevitable, but it feels like if they don't get things right. And I don't think that Kyrie can be part of being right, to be honest. Um, I just think they're, I, I, I feel like Luca to Miami or whatever is just, is, is a given at this point. If they can't, mm-hmm. if they can't write the ship and write it, in a way that immediately makes them a a top four contender in the conference. So yeah. Anyway, long winded, um, but uh, yeah, that's where we're at. All right, let's get out of here. Um, we will be not. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, tell a friend. Bring your basketball buddies around to listen to this podcast. It helps us greatly to carve out a little space in this very cramped podcast market. Leave us a five star rating and a five star review on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. In that review, tell us the most obscure or random NBA jersey that you own or have owned in the past, and we'd like to read those out at the end of the show. Uh, we will not be recording next week. Tobin will be at camp, be back the week after, probably wrapping up the finals, I would yeah, guess. hopefully. <laughs> previewing maybe the draft. Uh, we'll do a little off-season talk soon. Uh, it's going to be lots of exciting and fun times here at Spread the Floor. Uh, but until then, stay hard, Roddy Rogers. <laughs>